Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder of Listly, a product that helps bloggers and publishers engage uh, their audience with continuously evolving lists. Uh, According to Listly, 30% of all content on the web is built around lists, but these lists can quickly get stale and and often don't do a lot to engage their audience. So Listly allows bloggers, content marketers, and publishers to create interactive lists, lists, which they can embed on their own site or syndicate across other sites. So today I'd like to welcome Nick Kellett. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, great. Thanks for inviting me. Delighted to be here. Now, you are joining us from beautiful British Columbia, or otherwise also known as uh, a part of Canada for other listeners outside of North America. Yep. Um, and so you're, yeah, we're actually not that far from each other, right? Well, actually, no, yeah. we might be because you're, you're, you, British Columbia is pretty big. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're probably like 400. We're about a, we're about a five or six hour drive away. 400 kilometers, maybe 500, I guess, to Seattle. You know, I've been living in, in Seattle for uh, over 10 years now, and I have uh, never taken that two-hour drive up to Vancouver yet or gone into Oh, you should. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why, but uh, I did the same thing when I was living in London, that, that there was a bunch of places that I wanted to go to um, um, and never got around to doing it. And and then now when you end up in, in the US, you're like, oh my gosh, it's like it would have been just so much easier to yeah. go go and fly down to, I don't know, south of Spain or something when I was in London. Right. So um yeah, don't don't procrastinate. You gotta go and do those things. Um, like local tourist. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um I you know, I I like to start off by asking my guests um for a, a favorite quote. Or just to to share with us what gets them out of bed, what drives them to do what they do. So, is there is there a favorite quote that that you have, or um, otherwise, just just tell me what what gets you out of bed? Yeah, there's a, there's a Steve Jobs quote that's kind of uh, come to mind recently, which is you know everything around you that you call life was made up by people no smarter than you, and it's so you know you look around, everything in life is made up. Uh, money is made up as a concept. Language is made up, and everything we believe that you know, with the fact that we use Facebook, not something else, is made up, right? We choose. These are choices that many people make. So, if you choose to accept everything that everybody else makes up, you'll be a passive consumer. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you better start questioning and coming up with your own truths and, and being a producer and maker of um, you know creating things that other people can then consume as their beliefs. So I, I think ignorance, not knowing something, offers great power to those who are brave enough to go and explore and make that, you know, become a truth. I always say so that uh, butterflies should not be able to fly, but they don't know that, right? So <laughs> um, I, I'd never pu- – I published a board game. I knew nothing about board gaming, right? Physical cardboard board game. I published it. I ordered 10,000 games. They arrived in a massive container. You know, just I went and did it because I I wanted to do it. And it's, you know, you you don't know the rules you're breaking if you don't know the rules. This this is the the, uh, game called Gift Trap. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, 
if you just stick in the same domain and accept all the rules and everybody else's truths, you, you, you can be a passive consumer, right? You, know, you, can, you think about it, you can either get on a bus and be the passenger, you could get on the bus and be the driver and you have more influence over where things are going, or you could be the bus company owner and set the routes, right? You, it's up to you what truth you take. So I, I, I think the thing that gets me up in the morning is just this perpetual curiosity to keep finding things to ask questions about that seem wrong, right? That seem inefficient or there's an opportunity there to change something, right? So... Um, now, now your background um, is kind of more in in the marketing space, is that right? Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm a closet closet coder. You know, um, in many ways, I've always built early prototypes of things that I've made. And I mean, you wouldn't want to hire me, you know, to go build a production system for you. But um, in the old days, I could uh, you know hack it with the best of them in you know, kind of you know my VB and access. I, I write wicked SQL, but that seems so dated these days. Um, and um, I uh, these days I can code in Ruby on Rails. Um, you know, just not, I'm not not a rock star, but you know enough to be able to express an idea. And, and I think crafting and playing with stuff is where the best ideas come from. So sometimes you know sitting on the sideline trying to design something is not the same as actually trying to make it. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess um, I, I, was, I was kind of fascinated when, when I was doing some research into for, for this interview was um, uh, what you had done with with Gift Trap and uh, how did you? I mean, before we even talk about the software business, how how did you end up building that game? Where, where did the idea come from? Oh, well, I mean, I've always had a board game kind of in prototype stage, different games over you know, 20 odd years and kind of gathering dust somewhere in my life. And um, I just got to this point where I said, you know what, now is the time I'm going to, you know, focus on, I've always, like I I nearly got, uh, I I tried to sell Connect Four as an electronic game to Milton Bradley back in 1984. They kind of didn't think there was a market for electronic games, which is kind of funny, right? But I got (laughs) as far as interview with them. Uh, and pitched them the idea, showed them my working prototype of how they could have made an you know, electronic game. And the computer used to play people and win. You know, it's kind of cool. I wrote that on a Commodore 64. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of dates it, right? But um, So I was always kind of inventing stuff. And I had some board games at the same time, which I showed them, and they, which were way too technical. And they kind of made me realize, you know, the market is in mass consumer volume games, right? So um, I was... I moved to Canada and I chatted with my oldest daughter and she asked this question one day and she's, we were driving along, um, kind of, I forget where we were driving somewhere. And she asked this question, um, how does father Christmas decide what gifts to give people? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, it's a pretty good question. And then I just sort of, we've been talking about games before and I just thought, is there a game about that? And I went and researched and there's there's an awesome website out there called boardgamegeek.com. Uh, which, if you haven't heard of, and you're a gamer, and you haven't, if you haven't played Settlers of Catan, shame on you. Go play it, but go check out Board Game Geek. Um, and so, anyway, I went to Board Game Geek, found this, found there wasn't any games around gift exchange, and so I just started kind of prototyping some ideas. And it took me two years after that to kind of you know finally get the prototype to market. And I playtested it with like 500 people plus, obsessively playtesting, right? Because I think with software you can 
you know, you can just ship a new line of code, right? And you get a new product and you've fixed a bug or you've, you've fixed an oversight that you hadn't thought of. But when you've got 10,000 board games in your garage, um, you haven't got much chance to fix that, right? So <laughs> the software tester in me got obsessed with, you know, and I basically would, you know, the end, I think the last people who tested my board game, I went up to the ski rental desk at my local ski mountain. There was a bunch of Aussies there and I bought them beer and, uh, on the condition they'd sit down and play my game. And I just put the game down on the table, dropped down the beer, stood back, left them with the rules. I wasn't explaining anything. Let them pick up the rules, watch the experience. They play tested it. They laughed. They joked. They learned stuff about each other. I was like, okay, we're ready to go. This worked. Um, and so, you know, that was a fun experience. There's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels you can draw from being a software guy applying to real world problems, right? Like physical cardboard games, learning from the software process, I think. So yeah. that, was, that was a heap of fun, but scary as hell when 10,000 of them turn up at your, <laughs> fill your garage, right? Because, you know, 10,000, it was a 40-foot container full of games. Wow. And then you start jumping on the phone trying to sell people this game, and they go, nah, so what? Don't care. And so then basically I did started reaching out and doing kind of uh, like blogger outreach, sending, and, and I knew a few people who were, you know, uh, serious gamers and one guy play tested it and he really liked it but wouldn't write a review for it. it just it wasn't his thing but he, he then suggested five other people I should write to and he was more than happy that I could add his name and um, and that just something I kept going finding more people who would review the game and it, it really became a domino effect that everyone who wrote a review wrote a good review because then after the first five everyone had read everyone else's reviews and I mean, it was a great game, so it wasn't like making up bad, good reviews about a bad game. But you, you create this mindset and, and swell of opinion around things, right? And I think that totally can apply to software as well. And you ended up sell, selling all those 10,000 copies in your garage, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, to this day, like this year, we'll probably have, uh, break 90,000 copies worldwide. So Wow. Uh, in awesome. twelve, it's in twelve languages. Which one? It's won uh, twenty plus awards globally, including a Spielders Yara Prize, and that's the German. Like you know, Germans are big on games. It's like the uh, and winning one of those awards is like getting an Oscar, right? So that was it. Was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, hard work. You know, a roller coaster ride, but uh, but awesome as well. And then from there, obviously, it was a natural progression to get into the software business. <laughs> well, I was already in software, right? So I'd already started as a software guy, and I'd uh, I'd, I'd built a company. Uh, I was in the C. I had a CRM startup very early back in the kind of days of Telemagic and Act, uh, which was a kind of as you say, nice try no cigar. It didn't didn't amount to anything, but got very close, and didn't really understand the game. But when I saw that Telemagic did a massive exit and acted to, uh, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. You can create software and sell the company. Cool idea. I'll have to try that. Um, so I went on to take um, just the segmentation element of the CRM product that we built uh, and created a, a, a tool that makes Venn diagrams um, or visual Venn diagrams for selecting data for so in, in business intelligence, we're all obsessed with ands and ors in Boolean logic, and nobody understands them because you start nesting them, they get really complicated, right? You start asking a question of a database, it gets horrid. And um, so we use Venn diagrams to say, you know, I have these people, but not these people. You just click on the Venn diagram and you drag, you know, gender in, you drag income and you drag something else into the diagram and it 
it lets you choose who's there, right? And and it it had a what we call a fast counting engine just to show you how many people matched your question as you built it up. So you could ask a question and get closer and closer to the answer. And this would work against any any business intelligence tool out there. So in the end, uh, well, two and a half year two and a half years after starting it, I sold that to Business Objects, uh, which is now SAP because they got bought. So that was a that was a fun journey and a kind of you know. Uh, indoctrination and baptism of fire and it was it was actually really cool to I actually stayed way longer at business objects than I thought I would after the acquisition and it was it was cool it was like finishing school you know just like I'd been on the startup end of the equation but seeing how the big machine works was pretty fun too so, uh, what, what was it public on how you, how much you sold that business for uh no it wasn't uh it was you know in a kind of uh you know, it's sort of eight to ten million range, yeah. So, okay, so um, I missed that completely when I was doing the research on this. It's kind of it's a, it's a little detail in your yeah. background, which is kind of hidden away, and and there's not a yeah. lot of information about that. No, well, because you know, the funny thing is, it's just it was ninety nine, right? This stuff wasn't all the websites that established this kind of easy public domain of acquisitions and history uh, really started, you know. 2000s plus, right? More like 2003, 2004, right? Probably something like that. Um, so that was all pre all of that, pre all of that stuff. But it was it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, yeah, and and it was weird because I didn't really know you could do it. I had this vague idea that I'd seen it in CRM with Telemagic and and Act, and then I was like, you know, but it became very very obvious to me. Um, like, I think I just I was. The, we went. We built this product. It was literally six weeks old, and we were we'd uh, taken a stand at the Business Objects User Conference in the UK, and we were talking to customers there, and they didn't really understand us. Like, but there was a guy from uh, Abbey National, with a big bank in the UK, and he's like, "Can you guys come and see me? I don't understand a word you're saying, but there's something in it." <laughs> and and you know that's that's the kind of that is the early adopting customer you want, right? The guy that goes. I don't know what you got. I don't know what you're saying because you're very confusing because you would be, right? That's the whole notion. You haven't figured out what this thing is yet. But there's something cool that you're doing that I think applies to my problem. And, you know, he was very uh, – they became a, they became a, an early adopter of our, our technology and then really helped propel us. And at, the same, at that same conference, I got to meet the CTO of Business Objects. And it became very easy and obvious. You know what we were doing? We were just like basically driving in front of them across that path they didn't like that we were there because we kind of you know could mess up and complicate their their sales cycle because we were making their technology easier and faster and so they didn't like that because they didn't own it so they stepped in and wanted to license it and then they progressed from licensing to to an acquisition very quickly so uh, it's you know driving driving in front of somebody else's bus and being very annoying is is a really solid strategy right because people will that that's that's how they you know the big companies are not good at making something from scratch and innovating then it's much easier for them to understand how to buy you right? because they're also buying your passion and, and clarity of vision for what you're doing which doesn't come to internal employees right so certainly my experience and so you, you uh did you uh have uh co-founder or co-founders in that business in that i did yeah yeah i had a co-founder so I, it was just the two of you there was two of us, yeah, and there was a team of uh, and a team of about ten in the end uh, that 
but we there was me and my co-founder and he he basically i built the first prototype in access of all things um just to prove it worked and then he went and built it in um god delphi back then wow um and uh and then you know we deployed that and it run this thing would run upon you know an oracle mysql db2 all the all the databases that were right? the database world's changed a lot from, from 99 to now right so but it was and the, the funny thing is that the whole and and or problem is still there in my mind. Um, so it's a, it's re, you know that problem is definitely resolvable. I, every now and then I kind of scratch my head and say, should I go back? But I I have this curiosity to solve new problems. Some people love solving the same problem six times over, and I I seem to get more excited by jumping from you know business intelligence to content marketing to you know I did a little dabble in hyperlocal, which I'm still really curious about, but also you know. Jumping into board games is just fun, right? So I don't know, it's, it's cool <laughs> to jump space, but I don't know. Sometimes I think I'd probably be better off if I'd stuck in a space, but um, I've enjoyed the journey and I so, enjoy, you know, challenges. So, so you, you, you mentioned that you sold that business for eight to 10 million. Yeah. Uh, was that pounds or, or dollars? Yeah, pounds. Yeah. Pounds. Okay. Oh, no, just a minute. No, it was, it was dollars. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. All right. So, and then you stayed with business objects for what the next six years? Mm. I was, I was kind of golden handcuffed for three, and uh, nearly, nearly kind of, you know, a couple of times anyone to bounce out that way earlier than the three, um, but sort of held in. And then, um, just as I was about to leave, um, I, I kind of made a mental decision to come to Canada, and they were acquiring Crystal Decisions, who were based in Vancouver. And I was like, well, this is just, you know, too much of a golden opportunity. So I volunteered to move to Canada and help with that project. And I actually picked up a brand new role in based in Vancouver as sort of um, as VP of new markets. So looking at, you know, the way consumers and uh, the way businesses will be using information in the future. So it was, it was a really awesome kind of greenfield, blue sky kind of role. And uh, so that locked me into coming to Canada, but got me, you know, Canadian citizenship and and uh and then you know on the back of that and the, the sort of hobby status i was building my game and then at the end once i once i produced the game and you know begun it all arrived i was like mm, this is bigger than my job i need to so i quit at that point but it was it was great it was awesome fun experience so let's talk about uh listly uh how, how did how did you get started on that and and your co-founder sham yeah um, so so Sham had basically uh, had a fascination for kind of structured data and that the idea that the web isn't very structured at this point and sort of came across the idea of lists. And he was looking at lists and did some research. And you know, if you do a quick tally of blog posts across a bunch of popular blogs, it, it really holds true because I didn't believe it when he told me it, but I went and checked and it, 30% of, of posts usually are in the form of a list post. So 10 ways to do this, 27 things you didn't know. Like you look at BuzzFeed, there's a lot of, well, they've even, they even coined a name for them, listicles, right? So, um, so literally one in, one in three of blog posts are, are list posts, you know. And the reason we love lists is basically they let this, they're highly skimmable, right? Firstly, the title says it's a list, so you know it's skimmable content, so you can jump in and out. We skim the list. We don't necessarily read it. We check off what – we use the list post to check off what we know. So we go, got it, got it, got it, 
Oh, didn't know that. So list posts also make us smarter because they fill in the gaps. But even if the list post doesn't fill in the gap, it just makes you feel smart because you knew everything. You know, 10 greatest development platforms for blah. You know, if you're a developer in that space, you want to be on top of all the tools and knowing what's going on. 27 you know, thought leaders in, you know, oh, I know all of them, but not that guy, right? We all want to, we all want to be smart and socially savvy and lists are just the perfect way of consuming that. Yeah. So uh, when we were talking earlier, you'd mentioned that you had raised uh, a small angel round um, uh, to uh, to get this business off the ground and that currently you had about 200,000 users uh, yeah. using the product. Yeah. Talk, talk to me a little bit about how you, you got traction um, and you know, once you had guys that sort of built this product, how, how were you going out and acquiring customers? What was working? What didn't work for you? Right. Well, we'd done, I mean, uh, before I joined in, Sharma had begun this and he'd already got a couple of, he'd had uh, two different uh, interviews uh, with Robert Scoble. So that, you know, got him some exposure to video kind of clips. And, um, and then there was, Seemingly early adoption in the church space, and there was uh, one guy who was running um, a church conference and and was crowdsourcing speakers for his conference, and he picked up Listly, which I think he picked up via Robert Scoble. And the, in the church space, there was just a, there's a lot of people writing a lot of blogs around it, and a lot of people, and they all like to jump in and sociably you know create this stuff. So he had he had. Uh, I forget the numbers precisely, but something like 2,000 people voting and contributing on this list of the top Christian blogs. Uh, and there were multiple people in the Christian space that then sort of jumped, the religious space jumped on it and, and started building other lists, right? But that's that's what you really need, right? Is something that I think of what you're building as a startup is you're building a living beast that, you know, it's a growing thing and and the emotional connection that people approach to, to that tool is, is what grow helps you grow that product. So, you know, when people start using it and you're not pushing it and promoting it, but it's actually growing itself, that's when you've got, you know, something to keep building upon, right? And the question is, is that natural growth sustainable? Is it self-propelling? Do enough people get it? And the, the and that's what you're constantly trying to check out is how do we smooth out the product we've got? How do we improve our communication about what it is? Um, what words do we use to describe it? What category do we put ourselves in? Um, because in, if you get enough exposure to that to more people, you can you can hone what's the right idea about the, what's the right buzzword to describe yourself as, right? What problem are you solving uh, that you know, excites people? Uh, that makes them want to try you, right? Because in the day, there's so many, it's so easy to start something out there. You know, there are so many other people distracting everybody. And in terms of the you know, newcomers to the, to the space, right? And you're one of those people that's trying to get in, in traction and entrenched. And literally people have this list in their head of, you know, the tools they actively use. It's a very short list because really they can't manage too many tools. And they have this list of tools that they've heard of that they're aspiring to check out. And that's a short list too. And if you don't stay on the top of that list, 
if you don't make it to the top of the list and they're like, now I'm going to, today is the day I'm going to use Listly, right? Or whatever you insert your tool name. If you don't make it to that position, you're, you're, you know, you're fighting a losing battle. And, and then you know, once they, once they use you, do they stick around and come back? Do they get enough value from it? And I think one of the things to focus on there is, you know, what's the, you know, especially when you're selling something that, that has a network effect to it, which is kind of listly says, yeah, we can come and help you scale and get hundreds of people or thousands of people to kind of contribute to your content. You need to be very careful about what you claim there because you need to offer value on day one that brings them personal utility. Forget the scaling and the collaboration piece, because if people don't see what they get, how you made their life on their own easier without with your tool, then they might not experience the network effects because maybe all their friends aren't on your platform yet. So when you try and get them to use it, they're going to reject you because they don't, or your their use of Listly is going to join the queue of the things that they want to evolve, uh, you know, try out and adapt. So give me give me an example of how that applied to Listly in the early days. Well, so you know, people like just take the the Christian blogger example, right? He, this guy, um, uh, I forget his name now, Rhodes, um, was influential in his space, right? So if he's because he already had a big following. He had clout to use the you know the typical expression, right? So when when he started using a platform, people kind of just followed through because it was him. So they didn't really quest less people questioned the existence of Listly in that equation. But when a smaller person comes along who's got no influence and probably way less traffic and traction, and he tries to use a new tool, he's way less impactful than the thought leader. And he's not even a technology thought leader. He's just like, you know, in, in a particular niche and domain, right? So people are people have got way too many tools on their shortlist. And so they're looking for reasons not to use them. People are over signed up, like, oh, another thing's asking for my Twitter feed. Another thing's asking for Facebook authorization. Another person wants my email. You know, all of us in software have trained people. We've trained the consumer like a hamster, you know, in a wheel to be very skeptical and careful about what they sign up for so you know it's not it's not so much you know getting getting a write-up in TechCrunch is all glossy but getting somebody because you you TechCrunch don't use your tool right they write about it they probably even didn't touch it they probably wrote about it because someone somebody who was a friend of a friend said they should so they did you know when when a blogger uh it was yeah Todd Rhodes was this guy's name he started using it for for his Christian blog and, and sourcing speakers for his event. And he used this event, he used this for several years in a row. That that just adds massive kudos to you. And in that niche, I mean, it doesn't carry, the kudos doesn't carry beyond the niche. You can describe what they did, but everybody in that niche, because he had weight, jumped in and used it. And then other bloggers who, who were smarter and savvier go, oh, I could use this on my blog, right? And, and, and that's how things tip and roll. And you don't know that the guy that's, you know, doing that other Christian blog has a day job somewhere else that's, you know, of significance. And if he has a great experience with your product, he's going to roll it in there. Like I had a, I had an example of, um, <laughs> uh, there was a guy using Listly for a, for a cooking blog and you would look today. It was so, it was 
I didn't even notice them, right? Because there's so many, you know, when you've got so many users, you don't know what, you have a gist of what people are doing, but not everybody. Well, I happened to, I happened to find myself in Sydney and I just jumped uh, with a guy got a delayed flight and I just jumped on, on Twitter and like, I'm here, flight delayed, who wants to meet? And I literally filled up my calendar with meetings of really seriously cool, seriously cool people to meet. Was a really awesome experience and kind of you know, reinst- you know I already had great faith in Twitter, but it reinstantiated it. And one of these guys was running a bank, uh, the tech for a bank in um, uh, in Sydney, and he'd already tested Listly. I didn't know this because it was a food blog, and I didn't know that was his connection to the bank. But there we are having breakfast the next day because he'd had an experience with Listly that was positive. He'd been testing it outside of his enterprise because, and this happens a lot, I think. This is what I didn't know this at the time, but this is seriously happens a lot because people are so fed up with being bombarded with software companies trying to like close them down that they actually have on a sale, they actually have these alternative identities outside of their software full time day job. They test stuff so that you can, you could be, you are being tested by bigger companies than you actually know because of these kind of identities that people create, these alternative, you know, kind of lurking identities that people create. And, you know, you're, this is why it's important that you should always project a consistent, you know, curious, happy, uh, engaging, supporting kind of mindset to your audience because pe- people are judging you and voting you up and down these lists, whether you get in or out, the things they'll try. And so, you know, that my experience that day in Sydney was to fill up my diary with 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 great people. And it was really, really amazing to, um, to see that all the hard work that you'd done, if I hadn't followed that, if I hadn't been working hard up to that point and constantly building and priming the pump that day, when I, I jumped into a city and I asked for help, um, there would have been nobody there. Right. Yeah, that's great. So, um, let's, let's go back uh, a little bit to, um, what you were talking about earlier with this this particular blogger and um, what what I was trying to kind of figure out was what were some of the the, the mistakes that you made in the early days and and um, it, it sounded like that um, you know he was getting he he kind of got some some meaningful results by using Listly. Right. Um, but maybe you kind of got yourself in a situation where everybody else who was also wanting to use the product expected that they were going to get the same kind of right. results from that. So that's definitely a lesson we learned was, you know, it's so easy as a, a marketer to want to make a bold, brave claim, you know, that you're X times better than something else. Right. But people discount that and be careful that will they really get it? Because if you set the, that expectation that will get you 10 times or a hundred times your you know, engagement, People think, oh, great. They don't think I've got no engagement today, so 100 times zero is zero. They think, oh, you're going to get me some great engagement. And so if you make that claim, the claim is only applicable if you put it in front of people who have a seriously active audience. And also what matters more than anything is he used this thing. People who've got amazing results with Listy have used it multiple times, right? They necessarily won't, they won't necessarily get the greatest results first time because they need to learn and master a platform, right? And there is a, there is a strong thing called building a body of work uh, that really matters. Like if so, I, if I start using Slide Deck today, SlideShare, 
and I publish a deck, I'm going to get no traction because I've got no followers. I don't really know what works on the platform. If I go to YouTube, I'm going to do the same. If I go to Listly, the same. I have to invest in a platform and learn how to use Pinterest or learn how to use Listly or learn how to and create multiple pin boards, multiple lists, multiple slide decks, multiple videos. And that's that's sort of one way you get traction. So, But one of the things that we've learned was with Listly is not about overstating what we bring. We say, look, we we make making lists for your blog is tedious, which it is. We make it fun and simple and visual. We've, we've downplayed the fact that we can amplify the engagement. That's like we're leaving some delight in the box where people open it. Yes, if they've got a great blog, they'll get that. If they use it over time, they'll get that. But you can't make people um, stick around. They have. This is why they have to get personal utility from it. That makes them like something. You know what? If I'd have made this blog post on my own, um, it would have taken me, you know, two or three hours and it would have still not been as, as, as flexible and dynamic and look great on mobile and desktop and whatever. But I used Listly. It was quick and easy. It looks great. It took me 20 minutes or 10 minutes, right? That's, that's a simple deliverable. Sometimes you actually need to do less or claim less to get more faith, more buy-in, more traction. Um, now, now, um, earlier we'd been talking and, um, you'd mentioned something about, um, people coming and trying Listly and having maybe expectations that, you know, they're comparing it, you know, against Pinterest or something like that. Um, and, and I guess, you know, the danger of, of that with any, any early stage stage startup is you're not going to have feature parity with something that's been in market for years before you, or you're not going to have feature parity with a, a product that has, you know, 10x or 100x developers than you do. Right. So how, how did how did you deal with that where people would maybe come and use a product and say, actually, you don't have that many features? Well, you have to just, like, I don't think it's even, I don't think they're even comparing features. I just think they, like, say, like, if you just, they have an expectation of finish and things being rounded off, right? And no sharp edges. I think so you're better off to make sure that the the few things that you give them are fully finished. So they don't feel that it's, they don't really like only a certain type of user likes the stuff that's raw and edgy and they could see and feel the bugs, but they don't care. Right. Um, as you mature a little bit, people want to feel like it isn't broken. Maybe it isn't extensive. They can handle it not being extensive enough to some extent, but if things are fully finished off that you give them and people want, I, one of the things I've always one of the things I've always found is, you know, if you offer two choices, two choice doesn't feel like an option, but three does. So one of the things we did really on was create multiple layouts for Listly, and that so you can basically have a list, right? You create it once on on Listly, and then you can choose how that layout looks on your blog. You can have it as a short static list, as a gallery layout, as you know. Uh, Today we've offered in we offer a slideshow mode, we offer like full blown full size photo mode. Um, we we offer multiple of those, right? And that as long as you have three, it's my if I'm going to use something as a marketing feature to, to show that it's flexibility that we offer, people don't get that two is a choice somehow. They think it's an option, like it's that three makes it. Oh, I get it. You could have more. 
and I could I could ask for another one if there are three, right? And that getting people to ask for feedback and ask for what they want and what's missing is is easier when you demonstrate where there's choice. And I mean, one of the, one of those interesting things when and this was probably you know I don't know if it was a mistake, but it was kind of smart. We started off listening by not hosting any images at all. We just used links to other people's images, right? And that worked because we didn't have to pay for all of the hosting and storage of all of that stuff for you know two plus years of Listly. But really, the, as the bar rose, people expected to be able to control their images, have high res images, want you know flexibility to do that. And so we added, you know, eventually we, we shifted to that, right? We shifted to hosting our own images and letting people manage that process. And that's the thing. That was kind of an example of, you know. The bar is set, was set by Pinterest, and it wasn't just Pinterest, but lots of websites set this like expectation that we should have this kind of control over imagery. And so, people, when people don't get something they expect, very, very few people actually say anything to you. You know, I don't know if you've. I, I think I mentioned I, there's a rule called one nine ninety on the, the what it's called a one percent rule, and one percent of people create, nine percent of people contribute, and ten percent of people lurk. Well. If you have a hundred people on a using something, only one percent of the, those people are actually going to complain. If you're lucky, right? So most people will mm. see something; it will frustrate them, and most of them have left. They don't vocalize and say, "You know what? Listly looks really cool, but if you'd had only had your own images, I'd use it." Most people say nothing, and so when that one person speaks up, don't go looking for another hundred people to be like them, to speak up to and say, we haven't got any data that says that's the norm, right? Just apply the 1% rule that says, you know what, if 1% was brave enough to speak up, there's a lot more like those people. So you can overly justify sometimes where you are. But, but, do, you, but do you think that's a, that you get into a danger of maybe um, listening to people and, <laughs> yeah. and, and building features that nobody else cares about? And that's, that is the ultimate dilemma, right? Who do you, deciding who to listen to, deciding what features are necessary for who at what point in time is totally. And also you can say, well, that feature is great, but we don't have the budget to go for it. Right. So I, I think we did the right thing by not by not having to worry about images for such a long period of time. We got on with other stuff that other people found valuable. Right? You can't build everything out. And, and people have, you know, we spent there was an awful lot of behind the scenes effort went into making this be as scalable as it is to basically deliver lists to, you know, 10, 15,000 blogs across the web. God knows how many blog posts. Uh, I mean, some, we've got lists with over a million views, right? So we've got lots of users who've had over a million views of their lists. So we're rendering a lot of stuff to people and 60% of, you know, 50% of our traffic comes from, embedded content on other blogs which is great right it's, that is in the paid owned earned media poem acronym listly is we are giving blogs earned media because that their content is getting seen on other blogs away from their own website right and that's a phenomenal thing to do but that thing has to scale fast or the blogger will rip it out of their blog before they can blink right so they're not they don't want to they, they'll try stuff on us. You know, you go to another site, you'll try stuff and it can be, you get what you get. And if it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. When you put it in your own blog, 
that's a massive leap of faith and trust that you are using a piece of infrastructure inside your WordPress or whatever, right? That That is a serious signal of trust, belief in, in a platform. And and that's where a lot of our early days effort went to make sure that Listly would scale that, you know, as you, you know, we, we kind of rolled out as things grew, but we went from like lazy loading to pagination to caching all this stuff. It has, it had to be at a scale. And there was, there was crazy stuff that just little bits of detail that matter because people would do this. They would load, they would embed the same list on the same page multiple times in, in different ways or multiple things on one. And yeah. It looked good, right? This stuff was hard to do. Uh, and and they did that well. So we built out that infrastructure to, to allow us to scale. And maybe there were other options we didn't build in. You know, like I said we added we added images later because you know eventually it became the norm to want to do that. Um, but it's yeah, some some good some good lessons there. And uh, I think that um, what you said earlier about focusing on um, you know. Uh, a small set of features, uh, a small, you know, set of scenarios or one scenario and um, just making sure that whatever you do provide works really well, is well rounded out, doesn't have any sharp edges as you just described um, is, is much better than, than trying to sort of overload the, the product with lots of features. And, and I think, and another important point you made here as well is that, um, you know, e- even though um, a lot of people will will refer to Paul Graham's uh, famous essay about do things that don't scale, um, when you're building a business or a product that people are going to use in their own sites, um, you probably need to make sure that it scales. Otherwise, they're not going to leave it on their, their site for very long. Uh, exactly. And you've basically done all this hard work to earn, the, to get them to do it. And then you lose some, but you're worse than losing them. They'll tell other people, yeah, I tried this, it just crushed on me. And that that's going to push people away. Well, that, that was important that that didn't happen. And I think we've done a pretty darn good job of, you know, protecting that. And, you know, like, for example, we went deep and built, we built a WordPress plugin um, that extends the integration. So when, when you know, when, when Google sees a list post, of, on your blog that's got a listly list in it, it doesn't see listly, it sees text. It sees the text that's in the post, so it's fully indexable. That's detail that a lot of people don't appreciate because lots of people use the internet and have no clue what, what really, you know, where SEO value comes from. Mm. But an embedded list that's a listly list on a WordPress blog is, is seen as text. And that level of, you know, finesse and precision. And there's another level that also caches as well, right? So the, the WordPress... There's caching on Listy, but there's also caching inside your WordPress blog. So if you get a blog post that gets thousands of hits, it's going to hit your cache first, then the Listly cache. But if somebody updates the list in that time period, it will sync and those changes will will propagate. So it's pretty cool uh, to yeah. have. And and you know, some of the great examples, like there was a company called Edublogs. Uh, they were teaching uh Hosting platform on their hosting platform for WordPress for teachers. They've got I don't know, a million WordPress blogs uh, hosted on their platform, and they've been running contests on their platform for probably ten years now. A, a contest of like the best teaching blogs, the best new this, the best whatever, right? And they're they've run crowdsourced 
platforms and they've run various platforms. Um, and three years ago now, they they came across Listly because one of their users submitted their entry for their submissions for the contest using Listly, which was pretty cool. So they hadn't heard of it, but saw someone use it and went, hey, could we use this? So they, we jumped on a call and explained to them what it could do for them. And we just you know, crushed it for those guys. They, they amplified. Because what, what we taught them to do was, so here's, the, here's your contest on your blog, and this is what you've always done because they'd used, I don't know, yeah, SurveyMonkey and various other kind of you know, contest-type platforms for voting and stuff. And with Listly, we said, look, you should teach your audience that they can embed this content on everyone's blog. So everybody that was a contestant was celebrating the fact they were in the contest by writing their own blog post and embedding the whole list or just their entry on their blog. As a consequence of that, they they got massive. Like I had the blog post that I wrote about the amplification they got. It was huge. And that basically... Put, put Listly in front of so many people and they've, they've been using that for several years now and just love that as a comparative experience to, to other platforms. Yeah, that that's, um, and again, really uh, critical point there is that um, one is kind of doing anything which is inherently viral is is going to, to help you get traction. Yeah. Um, but also just the social proof. I think somebody else telling those guys about Listly um, was a lot more um, powerful than maybe you telling them about it oh, in the first totally. place. But I could go blue in the face telling people how good it is. And because I'm telling them and I'm from, you know, the, the, the source, they're just like, you know, tuning it out, right? But, I mean, they could see on the – literally, it was funny because Listly makes the voting totally transparent. So they can see – everybody that's voted on every item and they can see if someone's jumped in there and created different profiles and trying to fake it because contestants are funny people. They get very obsessed with trying to win. Right. But it makes it totally transparent. So they, if they're trying to fake it and make themselves win, they just also look stupid because they can see, you know, the the six profiles they've created, which you don't get in most platforms. A lot of these things are, yeah, vote every day and come back and they're just checking your IP address as opposed to like making people log in and, and leave a, a, you know, a trail of who, who's voted for something. So yeah. that was cool. Yeah. Some great lessons. Yeah. All right, uh, Nick, it's time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as possible. You ready? Yeah. Let's do it. What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Okay. This was, <laughs> A guy I worked with in my first job uh, asked me this question. He said, who are you to the tiger? And it is the most simplest statement, but it's mind-blowingly complicated and challenging to answer. So are you the parasite that's on the tiger's back? Are you the lion tamer, the ringmaster? Are you the hunter, the hunted? Are you the audience watching at the circus? Like, ask that for your startup. Who are you to the tiger? Because it makes you, it puts you in the frame of, it's not just about you. And who is your tiger is another, like that question, you could literally spend weeks pondering. And you could ask that, who was Facebook to that? Who was their tiger? Who was, you know, Etsy? You can take, you can discuss other people's, but that simple question is, uh, 
makes you go and answer your own advice, right? That's very unique. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's very very different. Very different, but it just, I was just like, to this day, I go, how did you do that? This guy was uh, Harish, a guy called Harish Davdo, and I was at French Connection in the UK at the time, working there. And he just, he was just cryptic, but it was just like, oh my God. And, yeah. and 20 years later, I still like, oh, I don't know how to even know how to answer that. That's nice. All right. Um, what, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? Ah, oh, you know, I've read a couple of books lately that I really liked. Uh, Obstacle is the Way and Trust Me, I'm Lying by Ryan Holiday. Um, you know, there's something about obstacle is the way it's just like, it's not meant to be easy. It is meant to be a struggle. It's good to remember that. Um, sometimes when you're, you're, you're bashing away at your startup, you're thinking, Oh my God, it's it me. No, this is just normal. It's meant to be hard. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yeah. Um, enjoy the journey, you know, and then trust me, I'm lying. I really like, because he does a great job of exposing the way media works and he's very truthful about it and provides some awesome, Awesome insight. Cool. Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Huh. I'm not giving up. You know, and then equally <laughs> knowing when to give up. I mean, there's the, you, know, you just you need to know that it's a long haul and a slog. But when who to listen to, when to stop, and how to how and when to change direction. You know, th- th- there is no answer provided in those things, right? That's why entrepreneurship is a skill it's a it, there's some luck in, luck in there but you know it's who you surround yourself with who who do you who are your advisors and who do you listen to will, will determine whether you you know, do the right stuff or don't yeah uh what's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit oh you know i, I like to author things visually so i i tend to author content in keynote <laughs> more than writing words because it basically makes me ready for um, designing stuff for Omnimedia. So I'm, you know, I can kind of design stuff with an Instagram quotable image in mind rather than writing a long blog post. So I can always add more words later, but I'll try and work it as a short, snappy story that might be like a 10-slide deck. Um, so that's an, I think that's you know, thinking in slides and thinking visually is a good technique because it keeps you brief. So. And then do you turn that into a blog post or, or just leave yeah, it as a slide? I'll, yeah, I, w- I would. Um, yeah, totally. Because then you can, I mean, you should, I am, will embed that. Um, I'll, depending if sometimes it's a list, I'll actually turn it into a listly as well. Uh, I'll, I'll embed it on the blog. So I'll embed the slides or the list back on the blog. But what you're doing then is you're getting each platform to amplify and what it's good at. And you turn it into a short video that discusses why you did it. And then put it on YouTube. Like each media platform has traffic and traction for good reason. YouTube is a search engine, the second biggest search engine in the world. SlideShare is pretty big. Listy is a big search engine. People go there to find stuff, right? So if you just blog, you are uh, working in a vacuum on your own media that people are not going to find because they don't go to your blog to find stuff. They go to YouTube SlideShare and Listly and other places to go find things. So I think people don't understand the way the modern consumer hunts stuff down. It's another reason to use stuff like Medium as a blogging platform instead of your own. It's another reason to use LinkedIn uh, blogging platform because you can get found there above and beyond where you are. But you should create content and put it to multiple places and understand why if you don't, then you're, you're operating in a vacuum, I think. 
What's a, a crazy business idea or a new business idea that you would love to pursue if you had the extra time? I am super curious about hyperlocal. So, you know, the idea of uh, local media um, and local has been tried and failed by many people just because I think they were too early. Uh, so you, I don't know if you know about Patch, AOL bought Patch. Yeah. Um, and there have been multiple, you know, failures in the hyperlocal space, right? And Go Waller is another one. They kind of got consumed and ended up as an acquihire into Facebook pretty much. Uh, there are many, but so no one's solved it yet, but it's, someone's going to solve it at some point. So I'm uh, very curious about that. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Huh. Well, um, it was, so most people, most people don't know so much about my, my board game. I actually got an offer from Hasbro uh, to take an option on the game. I turned that down, I turned it down, which kind of shocked them. Um, and, you know, now, as I think I mentioned before, it's it's in 12 languages, 20 awards, 95, 90,000 units worldwide. So that's most people don't know that. I kind of, you know, so it's amazing what you can have out there if people look, but people don't necessarily find that stuff about you because people, people don't read your profile. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you definitely have a lot of, uh, you know, incredibly interesting background where, uh, uh, I'm glad we had this conversation because they're, they're not that obvious when you look around. Um, and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work? I love going sideways. So I snowboard, I wakeboard, I skateboard. Uh, you know, so I still ramp ride. I, I went to the pub last night on my skateboard. It's pretty, <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. I just love it. It's like, you know, give me a chance to get out on the snow, on the wake, on the wake skate. Anything sideways, kind of fun. I don't know why that is, just... Seems to be. All right. Nick, it's been a pleasure having you uh, here and uh, thank you for sharing your experiences and insights. Now, if folks want to find out more about Listly, um, what's your preferred domain? Because both list.ly and listly.com go to the same place. That's right. Yeah. No, we, we started off uh, owning list.ly because it's shorter and then we, we bought listly.com because it became available. But we still use list dot ly because it has the word list in the name and it's shorter which we think is better so um they both end up the same place but it's uh cool so list.ly and if folks want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that oh well people can you know yeah i'm i'm on linkedin so i do accept invites on linkedin very easy to find me as uh linkedin slash in slash nick keller i'm on twitter as nick keller i'm very uh very accessible and uh you invite me on LinkedIn. Totally. Would love Great. To. Yeah. So thanks again. And uh, I, I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thanks very much. Well, thanks for thinking of me. It's been fun. Cheers.